Man, good morning. That was way better. Thank you for not making me feel awkward that time. Last week, uh, if you weren't here, I said, hey, turn around, hug somebody, say hello, and like everybody just stared at me. It was weird. Um, so that was much better. We are learning. That's good. Um, this morning, we're going to be in Matthew 18, so if you have your Bible, you can go that way. If not, it's going to be on the wall so we can all read it together, but I'm going to pray one more time um, and just... Um, I don't want to miss what God has for us today. So, God, we need you. God, I need you. God, we we don't want to miss this today. God, we don't want to um, just come in to do church today and sing some songs and hear somebody talk. Um, because, God, we can we can really do that anywhere. Um, but, God, we want to meet with you. And uh, this morning, uh, I'm inadequate for that. I can't stir that or make that or manufacture that. If you're going to do something, God, you have to do it. And um, God, I'm just praying that you'll do that today. God, I, I need you. Uh, and I suspect I'm probably not the only one. So God, this morning, we just pray that you'll just calm our hearts. It's great when we go in um, to those holy moments like that in worship uh, where you just invite us in and we just sing to you. And God, we don't want to leave that place, but God, we don't want to miss what's going on in these moments either. So I'm just praying, Jesus, that you just help us to focus on you. God, that anything that would distract us today, we would just be so distracted by you that we would miss out on that. God, that anything we carried in this place, Jesus, anything from this week or coming in the next, God, that we would just leave it for a moment. Um, It'll find us after. Um, But God, in this moment, in this place, it'd be space for you just to work. Um, So God, we need you. We love you and we thank you. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, this morning, like I said, we're going to be in Matthew 18, and um, we're going to talk this morning about forgiveness. And uh, I knew I was going there, kind of coming into last week. Um, but it's funny; I've had so many conversations with people this week about forgiveness. Um, and every time I heard one, I was like, oh, "Man, this is going to be awkward Sunday because they're going to think that like I'm doing this because of that." But I knew that, <laughs> like last Saturday, that this is where we were going. Um, So that's not what it is, and for me, that was just confirmation that this is a very relevant message for us today. Um, I think it's so against human nature to forgive. Um, If you have a hard time with forgiveness, you aren't the only person. I think, like, if we did a little poll today, don't raise your hand, please, and you were like, I struggle with forgiveness, raise your hand if that's you. Uh, There'd be so many of us in the room today that that did that, because it's it's, it's a natural thing to not want to forgive someone when you've been hurt. It's this human response of, I've been hurt, so I, I want to hurt, or at least I want you to know that I'm hurt. And, and really what we do in those moments, I was thinking about it this week, is we think we're chaining that person to that situation, and really what we're doing is we're shackling ourselves to that situation uh, so many times that person's already forgot what's happened. They, they don't care um, how they've how they've wronged us, and uh, and and what we do is, is we just sit around in that moment, and they've already left that moment, 
So, so Jesus talks about forgiveness. It's amazing because he forgives us, but he also talks about how we should forgive. And we're going to explore that for maybe the next few weeks. And this morning we're going to do that in Matthew 18. Uh, Matthew, um, if you're just hanging out for the first time today, is a gospel or a narrative story of Jesus' life. And this account is uh, written down by Matthew, one of the disciples. I think that's amazing for us today that we have eyewitness accounts of the actual words that Jesus said. Uh, when I grew up, I didn't realize like the Bible wasn't some book written like hundreds of years after Jesus walked on the planet, but some of these things are actual eyewitness accounts of, of the words that Jesus said and what he did, and that's true for Matthew. Just maybe a few years after Jesus left this place, Matthew decided to write down um, what Jesus said and what he did and preserve that for us. And this morning we have that amazing credibility of, of this eyewitness account as we read these things. And this morning in Matthew 18, we see that Jesus sits down and he's about to teach the disciples. There's this question, who is, who is the greatest? Uh, if you've got that question, Jesus is the greatest. We'll let all the other things sort out themselves. Um, but they ask this question, who is the greatest? And Jesus sits down and he starts talking about the kingdom of heaven. He tells a parable of the lost sheep because anytime we have the kingdom of heaven, we have a story of redemption. And then he gets into 15, kind of the, the preface or the beginning to this parable that, that he's about to tell. He starts talking about restoring a brother. Now, if you've been around church very long, this is the church discipline verses. Um, notice it's not labeled church discipline in there um, because the idea was not that this passage would be used to take a belt to some church members. It was used to bring people back into fellowship with God. And that was what Jesus is talking about in these moments. And he starts laying out this process of restoring a brother. And he's talking to the disciples. And he says to them, if your brother sins against you. Now, the original text didn't have against you. It just has sins. If your brother sins, if your brother's trapped in sin, if they're caught in personal sin, or if they sin against you, if they come against you, if they wrong you, this is Jesus' prescription to fix said problem. He says, if your brother sins against you, um, go and rebuke him in private or go in private and talk to him about this offense. Isn't that amazing? When somebody wrongs you, Jesus' prescription to fixing that wrong is that we put on our big boy pants and we go talk to that person about that thing. It's so contrary to what we want to do, right? Because what we want to do is we want to sit around and fester about that thing and be mad and tell this person and that person, but we never want to go to the person. We want to talk to everybody else and kind of get our team together, team A against team B, that kind of mentality. And Jesus looks at his followers, these guys, and he says, hey, um, just so you know, Peter, if, um, if, if John makes you mad, the answer is not to go tell Timothy or go to... Matthew and be like, hey, could you just pray for them? I don't, I don't know if you know this or not, but here's the seven reasons why I don't like this person uh, in the form of a prayer request, and, uh, and you should pray for them, right? It's just gossip disguised as a prayer request, by the way. He actually says, when somebody wrongs you, or even if they're just caught in personal sin, here's the prescription, go talk to them about it. Not go talk about them, but go talk to them about it. Now, that's not something that we do, but it's what Jesus says that we should do. So maybe we should think about rethinking that. And he says, if he listens to you, you have won your brother. 
not won an argument, not you can now feel better about yourself. Well, what's the goal of this conversation? The goal of this conversation is to restore your brother into fellowship with you or to restore the brother into fellowship with God. He says, but if he won't listen to you, then go talk about him to everybody, right? I don't have that translation. If you have that translation, throw it away. We have more Bibles in the back that aren't broken. Um, It says, but if he won't listen, then take, second step, not first step, then take one or two more with you. One or two more, not 76 people on team A. So that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If you go to them, they're like, yeah, I'm just like living the way that I'm living, or I don't really care that I hurt you. Then they'll get somebody else that maybe witnessed it, saw it, and go with them and be like, hey, we're concerned about you. We want you to be in fellowship with us, and we don't want to talk about you, and we don't want to run you down, and we don't want to be mad at you. We want to restore this relationship, or we're concerned about you spiritually between you and God, and we want to see this reconciled. We want to see you come back into fellowship with God. That's the goal. He says in 17, if he pays no attention to them, tell the church. If he won't go with them, then, then it's time to do the church thing. This is not church discipline. This is a bunch of people coming together and praying for this person and trying to draw this person back into fellowship with the church and with God. But if he doesn't pay attention to even the church, it goes on. He says, let him be like an unbeliever. Let him be like an unbeliever. If you wanted to act like an unbeliever to this extent, we've tried to restore, we've tried to restore, you tried to restore, you won't restore, then just, okay, you're an unbeliever. Now what's the goal? You're the mission field. Not he's an unbeliever. We don't have anything to do with unbelievers. That's not church mentality, by the way. Um, but, but, hey, we just, we're going to share the gospel with you now every chance we get because we believe that maybe you don't know it. Not we want to cast you out, and we're not going to have anything to do with you, and we hate you, and you're dumb, and none of that stuff. It's just we, we want you to know Jesus, and we don't believe that maybe you do. And this teaching, this lesson of how to deal with these things, um, it brings up a question with Peter, and that's kind of where we're going to settle on this morning in 21. It says, then Peter came to him or came to Jesus after this conversation, and he said to him, Lord, how many times could my brother sin against me and I forgive him? This is Peter's question out of this. He he hears Jesus teach, hey, uh, if somebody comes to you and they've offended you, the response is to go to them and try to reconcile that relationship. And Peter asks a simple question, how many times do I have to do that? Is that like a one-time thing? Like, how many times do I have to let this person hurt me and then, and then try to reconcile the relationship with this person? How many times do I have to care about where this person is spiritually between um, them and, and them and the Lord? How many times do I have to do that? How many times do I have to forgive a brother who sins against me? It's a good question today. It's a question really maybe a lot of us wonder because, you know, like really, we're generous a lot of times if we forgive somebody one time. We like our grudges, and we like our anger, and we like our unforgiveness. We, we like that. And so he says, how many times do I have to do that? And he even throws out a number. He says, as many as seven times. Seven times. Now, that's pretty generous, Anybody not think that's generous? Like if somebody come to you and they hurt you and then they left and they come to you and they hurt you and they left and they come to you and they hurt you and they left. Like 
you're like seven, I don't think seven is enough. Is there anybody in here that's like, I would love for somebody to hurt me 15, 20, 72 times. You know, like any, I don't, I don't think anybody in here is probably like, I don't know that that's very generous. That's actually a very generous number because most Pharisees, teachers of that time, um, rabbis, they would tell their followers or their disciples to do it three times, to forgive three times. This is a three-strike-you're-out kind of rule. Like, if you're going to do it more than three times, you're probably just going to do it forever, and we're going to cut you off. We're not going to worry about you. We're not going to forgive you anymore. And here Peter's like, what if I just throw out a generous number, and I'm like, not just their number, but I'm going to double their number, I'm going to add one to it. Seven times? Probably the other disciples would have been like, man, he's a fool seven times. That's way too many. Why are you going to let somebody hurt you seven times? That's ridiculous. Three is good. Three is good. That's what people teach. Three is good. But he throws out this number seven times. To which we expect Jesus to be like, man, that's, that's really great. That's, a, that's an amazing number. Thank you. But that's not how the conversation goes down. He says in 22, red words, Jesus' words, I, I tell you, Jesus said, not as many as seven times. Now, if we stopped right there, we all love this story, right? Ah, oh, you don't have to do it seven times. That's not what he said, though. I tell you, not as many as seven times, Jesus said to him, but he says, but 70 times seven. 70 times seven. I don't know if anybody's good at math. I, I calculated this last night. It's 490. It's 490, right? Good, I remembered that. I actually had to use a calculator for that. So if you think that's crazy, you should try more math gun games with me. I'm not good at it. I'm not gifted in math. But 490 times is what Jesus says. 490 times. That's a lot of times. That's, that's a very generous number of times, actually, isn't it? And see, what some of us translate that to is, man, that's a lot of times, or that's too many times, or I don't know if I can do that. Or our brains go into, how am I going to keep up with 490 times? Like some of you are like, I better start an Excel sheet, right? Like I've already got the top 27. I can just start typing them in and just I'll forgive them that time. And then the next time I'm punched in there. And it's just, or some of you are like, I'm going to do a tally sheet. Like here's this person's name and there was one and there was two and there was three. We don't have to remember what they are. We just have to know 490 when 490. I'm cutting them off. I'm done. Like we start thinking like how are we going to keep up with 490 times? But see, the idea here is not that we keep up with 490 times. Like he, just, he just threw out an extravagant number because for most of us, we, we would never be able, except for Excel, but they didn't have Excel, we would never be able to keep up with like 490 offenses toward us, would we? Maybe some of you are like, man, you should come see my journal. I have, I have way more than 490 on some people. But I think what Jesus is saying here is it's not about a list. See, we, we do that though, don't we? Like we're like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive them this time. But I'm not going to forget. There is no forgiveness without forgetting, by the way. I'm going to say that again um, for everybody because it's true. And I'm not preaching to you this morning. I'm preaching to us this morning. There is no forgiveness without forgetting this morning. Because here, here's the reality. What we end up doing is, is we, we just overlook that offense until the next offense and then we overlook that offense until the next offense. And what we do is we stack a bunch of little things up on top of each other, and it becomes a really big 
thing so that every little thing that's done now sets me off and I fly off the handle. They're like, they didn't speak to me this morning. They hate me. They're the worst people on the planet and we got to go tell 17 people. And it's like, man, maybe they just didn't see you. But I've stacked up now 27 things, so everything is offensive to me. And Jesus is saying to us today, you cannot forgive with a list. You can't forgive with a list. That's why he gives this extravagant number. See, the truth is, Peter could keep up with seven things. I could keep up with seven things. Maybe some of us are way past seven things, but 490, it's an extravagant number. And he he looks at Peter, and Peter asks this question, how many times do I have to let this person keep doing this? And he says, as many times as they ask for forgiveness. As many times as they do it. And he just throws out this huge number. You're like, well, how do, you, how do you know that? Because Jesus is about to tell us a story that illustrates this very thing. Some of you are still like, I can keep up 490. I'm good. Well, listen, listen to this story that he's about to tell. He says, but as many as 70 times 7. And then he goes into 23 and he says, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to, here's the story. Jesus just goes into a parable, and a parable is just a a story that's meant to illustrate a moral or spiritual point. It's like a fable, like there's always like a thing at the end that we tell this whole story, and here's the moral to the story. You've heard that phrase before. That's what Jesus does with his stories. He tells these parables, and these parables are meant to illustrate something, and at the end of that, we have the point that he was trying to make, and he he says, let me just tell you a story that's going to tell you about the kingdom of heaven. This is what it's like in heaven. This is what heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. Here's the story. There's a king. That's not you. That's not me. Right? We don't get to be the king in the story. We're not in charge in the story. We actually follow along the lines of the slave in the story. We are the slave in the story. Jesus here is the king in the story. He says, let me tell you about the kingdom of heaven. Here's what it's like in heaven. There's a king. And there's a slave, and this king wants to settle accounts with the slave. He wants to clear the books with the slave, basically. He wants to get what the slave owes him. So in 24, it says, When, when he began to settle accounts, there was one slave who owed 10,000 talents, and that slave was brought before him. Now, we don't have a concept of talents because we don't use talents, and I think sometimes we would just want to put dollars there, but dollars just wouldn't do it. Like if you said, this slave owed $10,000, you'd be missing the point of the story because $10,000 is such a small number compared to what Jesus is actually saying in the story. If you owed me $10,000, by the way, I'd be coming to your house later today and knocking on the door. That's a big number, but it doesn't even begin to scratch the number that Jesus is talking about here. See, talents are the biggest um, monetary number thing that there is in this society. Talents are the biggest bill that they have. A talent is, um, I think, what was it, 6,000 6, days wages for an average slave. And 10,000 was the biggest number that could be expressed in, in Greek. They didn't have like a million and a billion. He would have picked a bigger number if it did. 10,000 was the largest number that these men that he was speaking to would have ever heard of. 
So he picks the biggest number denomination bill, and he picks the biggest number they would be familiar with, and he says, um, he says this slave came and he owed 10,000 talents. Now this equates to, um, I think I, I did the math on this, uh, this equates to a billion days wages for the average slave. Now, see, we don't have a concept of the number billion because none of us have ever seen anything. There's like a billion of all at the same time. Like, we know it's a big number. It's astronomical. Like, I wish I had a billion dollars. I don't even know what it would look like. But it would be really cool because it's a lot. So let me just break that number down for you. If this slave was to work every single day and earn wages every single day, it would take this slave over 2,700,000 years to pay this guy back. Now, we don't even have a concept of that, right? Like, what does 2 million look like? That's, that would be huge. We don't live in the span of 2,700,000 years. We get maybe 70, 80. If you're lucky, you may get somewhere around 100, but probably not true for most of us. And this guy would have to work over 2,700,000 days in a row without a break to pay this guy back. That's ridiculous. And that's the number that Jesus pulls out. And he's like, this is like the kingdom of heaven. There's a king who, who has the slave, and the slave owes him 10,000 talents. Now, this could pop in all our head, like all questions, like, okay, why did the king give that guy that much money? Like, you know, like, what did he do with that much money? He's a slave. Like, how is he spending that? What's going on? But none of that really matters, and we'll miss the point of the story if we go that way. So let's just get that out of the way right now. It's a lot of money. It's an enormous debt. Actually, that's more money than it would be in all the area of Palestine that these disciples here in this story would have known anything about. If you like gathered up all the money in Palestine, 10,000 talents is more than all that area would have. This debt is like astronomical. There is no way the slave could ever pay back this debt. There, if he worked for the rest of his life, he wouldn't even touch it, right? Like he wouldn't, he wouldn't get close. There's no way that this slave could ever pay off this debt. It, it's impossible and it's hopeless. And this king pulls the guy in and he's like, hey, um, rent's due. It's time to pay your tab. And it says in 25, just to kind of echo what we just talked about, since he had no way to pay it back, his master commanded, or this king commanded, that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. Now, there's no way this guy and his wife and his kids and everything he has is going to equal up to 10,000 talents. This is not to, like, cash out the check, this is just a punishment, right? Like, you borrowed that much money, you can't pay that much money back, you cannot pay your debt, here's the end result of that. This guy's about to be punished, he's about to be sold, and his wife's going to be sold, and his kids are going to be sold, and all this stuff's going to be sold, life as he knows it is over. And it says that in that moment, the slave fell face down before him, and he said to him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Now, that isn't even possible. There's no way in the world 
with all the time in the world, this guy can pay this king back. But he doesn't know what else to do. So he starts begging, like, give me more time. Let me figure this out. Let me, let me try to pay off this debt. Let me, let me figure out what I can do. And it says, the master of this slave, he had compassion on him. And he released him, and he forgave him the loan. This guy gets face down, and he starts begging before this king, I need more time, I'll pay you back, I'll do this thing. And the king looks at him, and, and, and he has compassion on him. Now, if you owed me like 2700000 years worth of money, that would be hard for me to do. But he looks at him, and he's like, there's no way this guy's going to be able to pay me back, so I'm just going to forgive the debt. Now, A, like, how rich is this king, right? <laughs> ah, no big deal. But B, like, look at the compassion here of, of the king. He just, okay, no big deal, man. Have a great day. And Jesus started off the story as what? This is like the kingdom of heaven. There's this king who's going to settle accounts with all of his slaves, every single one of them. But he starts with this slave because this slave owed him like 10,000 talents. This is like the slave that owed the most money. Worst guy in the room. No way this guy can pay him back. This king pulls him in. He's like, hey, pay me the money. This guy asks for, for time. He, he begs this guy, falls on his face. He's like, man, I'll pay you back. I'll pay you back. I'll pay you back. And this king says, no big deal. Don't worry about it. This is like the kingdom of heaven. This is what God does for us. We, we have a debt that there's no way we can pay if we know Jesus, right? Like There's no way we can pay. And at great cost to himself through the cross, he chooses through compassion to forgive us. This is like the kingdom of heaven. This is the story that Jesus is telling. See, the reality today is there is no way we could ever pay God back for what he's done for us. Our sin debt is enormous, and some of us are like, well, we're not that bad. Well, he's perfect, and we're not perfect, so we are that bad, in fact. Unless you're God, you're that bad. And we all owe God. Like, it doesn't matter if you owe him 10,000 talents or 10 talents. You don't have it. You can't pay it back. Like, you are a sinner, and we don't know how to, to erase sin debt. We don't do that. Good deeds doesn't do that. Like, I worked it all out. It doesn't do that. We can't pay God back. God said don't. We did. And he's going to settle accounts with every single person. And, and, and he says, this is like the kingdom of heaven. Ask for forgiveness. At bed. <laughs> you know, get, get down on your face and just ask him. And he has compassion. He forgives. This is the relationship with God and the slaves. And that's an amazing story, but that's not where the story stops at. In 28, it says, but that slave, that same guy, he went out and he found one of his fellow slaves, just another guy, who owed him 100 denarii. Now, this is not as much, right? Denarii is a smaller currency and 100 is not 10,000. This equals, I think, three months wages. I, I would have to look it up again, but I think it was three, uh, which is still like enormous, right? 
like three months wages if you took my check, and I, I won't give you a number because you probably just laugh at me, but if you took my check and like just times three and you owe me that much money, I'd be frustrated, right? I'd probably still come to your house and be like, hey, you owe me a lot of money, right? Just throw out a number, $9,000. If I come to your house looking, I'd come to your house looking for $9,000 probably. Like, uh, first of all, I don't have $9,000, so there's no way I would let you borrow $9,000. But if I did, and it was like a week or two, I'd be like, man, I'm going to need that. Still a big deal. Still enough that I'm, I'm going to notice. The bank's also going to call me. Like, that's, that's a lot. He's not, like, making light of the number here. But in comparison, it's just not the same number, right? Three months, 2,700,000 years, different. He says, this slave went out and he found a fellow slave who owed him 100 denarii. And it says that he grabbed him and he started choking him. And he says to him, pay what you owe. This guy just got forgiven for 10,000 talents. No way he could pay him back. Literally walks out the door, walks into the street, finds a guy who owes him 100 denarii. Like even if he was collecting money to try to pay the king back. Like this is not going to make a dent in that. He walks up to this guy and he grabs him by the throat and he says, you need to pay me right now what you owe me. Now, first of all, the king didn't even do that to that guy. We already see, like, there's an issue here, right? Walks up to him, he starts choking him, and he says, you're going to pay me right now what you owe me. And he says in 29, at this, his fellow slave fell down, and he began begging him. And listen to what he says. Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. It's the exact same words that this guy just used on the king. Like, same conversation, right? Be patient with me. I'll get it back to you. Except here's the difference. If he was patient with this guy, this guy could probably actually get it back to him. Like, there is an ability in this man to pay this debt to this other man. There was not an ability of this man to pay the king, but this man can pay back this man. It may take a while, it's going to take a little bit, it's going to take probably over three months because he's still got to eat, but like there's, there's some time that it can happen in. It says the exact same words, and what we expect to happen in this moment is what? Okay. Maybe not even a, okay, don't worry about it, but like a, okay, you can pay me back. Like something there would make sense in this story, right? But, but here's where the story starts to not make sense. It says, but he wasn't willing. He didn't want to forgive him. He didn't even want really the, the money back. It says, on the contrary, he went and he threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. To which I have a question. How do you make money in prison to pay what you owe? Like, really? At this moment, it wasn't about getting back what he's owed. It's about hurting this other person. You owe me, I'm going to punish you. You've hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. You've done something to me, and I'm going to do something back to you in a greater way. This is what 
unforgiveness looks like. And it doesn't make sense in this story, does it? Like if they were sitting around hearing this story, they would have been appalled by the thought. And maybe some of us are like, man, that's crazy. Like if we were watching this movie, this would be the bad guy, right? Like if we, would, we would not like this guy. There would be no sympathy for this guy. But a lot of times we are, in fact, this guy. Actually, even in the story, the people hearing the story are appalled, right? It says in 31, when the other slaves saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and they went and reported to their master everything that had happened. They went to the king and they're like, hey, man, this doesn't make sense. You forgave this guy. And then just as soon as he got out, he walked out the door, grabbed this guy by the throat. He owed him money, kind of the same, but not anywhere near the same. He owed him money and he wouldn't pay him back and he had him thrown in jail. Goes and tells this guy's boss this story. And and this is what happens in 32. It says, Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you asked, you begged me to. And in 33, he says, Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow? Slave, as I had mercy on you. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow slave as or like I had mercy on you? This is the conversation that happens between this king and this slave. Now, what did Jesus start with? Like, this isn't a story that's playing out in Jerusalem in these moments. He says, hey, I'm going to tell you a story about what the kingdom of heaven is like. Let me, let me just, here, here's how I'm going to answer your question. Peter says, do I have to forgive? How many times do I have to forgive people? Like, seven times? And Jesus says, no, dude. Like, 490 times. But just in case, Peter, you're the kind of guy who wants to start making a list and and checking it twice, if you're that kind of dude, um, let me tell you a story. Here's what the kingdom of heaven is like. There's a king, let's just call him Jesus. Come up to this guy, and it could be me, it can be you, it can be any of us, right, who owed him a debt that, like, there's no way in the world they could pay. Like if they worked the rest of their life and the rest of the next life and the rest of their next life, if that was even possible, if they could work for, for forever, they would never be able to pay this debt. They just in that many years. And the king, he, he could have destroyed him. He could have stomped him out. He could have had him thrown off into jail. He could, have, he could have sent him away. He could have done anything to that guy. And the king would have been good because they owed him the money and they couldn't pay it. But instead of that, if for anybody that would ask, the king would just say, no big deal. Forgiven. Because the king didn't come to hurt people back. The king was hurt, he was offended, he, he, was, he was wronged, but his 
grace is just who he was. His personality was one of compassion. And for anybody that would ask, he would just forgive. And in light of that, he's saying, does it make sense that forgiven people aren't forgiving people? See, the the debt that we owed is greater than anything anybody could ever owe us. And it doesn't mean that we can't feel hurt. And it doesn't mean that that things just kind of bounce off us. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means that in light of what happened on the cross, through the power and the strength of God, I can begin the process of forgiving people. It doesn't mean that it's easy, right? It doesn't mean oh, I'll just blow it off. Oh, they, man, they, they did something horrible to me, and, you know, I just, I'm going to just, I'm forgiven, no big deal. It's not easy. It's unnatural to forgive people. We are wired to be unforgiving, right? In our flesh, we are wired to just try to hurt other people back. In our flesh, we are wired to try to, to, try to claw back when people claw at us. That, that's who we are internally. But see, here's the truth. For those of us that know Jesus, we are not in the flesh, And the one who's in us is greater than the one who comes against us. So, so through the, the, the grace of God, I can have grace and extend grace to others. And that's, that's the story today. It's not that we're not allowed to be hurt. If I said, oh, just every time somebody does something horrible to you, just, you, have to, you have to just bounce off that. You don't have to worry about that. You just have to, you just have to forgive. No big deal. You can't act like you feel. I didn't say that. I don't even think the Bible says that. But we can't chain ourselves to that in an attempt to chain them to that. He says, you have been forgiven. I think for a lot of us, it's just going back to the cross and seeing, man, today God has forgiven me. And that puts fuel in my tank to be able to forgive others. The next day we wake up, I'm not not there yet. Well, it's amazing because we can just go right back to the cross and remember, God, what have you done for me? Now, God, help me to do that for others. The next day, maybe we're not there yet. God, you have done amazing things for me. Help me to do that for others. And it may take a really, 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 really long time. But here's the thing. We've been forgiven of a lot. And it's that fuel in our tanks and that power in us that allows us to forgive a lot. How many times do I have to forgive them? Every time. You don't have to do it alone. How many times do I have to forgive him? Every time, but it's not on your own. It's through the power of God that lives in us and through us that God invites us to A, be forgiven, but to B, forgive. Forgiven people are forgiving people. Moral to the story, he says, let me tell you about the kingdom of heaven. It's full of forgiven people and forgiven people forgive people. That's what it's like in heaven. Let me tell you about the kingdom that you're inviting people into. If you're going to invite people into the kingdom and you're going to show them for how forgiving I am, you got to be forgiving 
people. Forgiven people forgive people. Story of the gospel. I've been forgiven of a lot. And today I can start extending forgiveness a little. Jesus today is not making light of what we've went through. He's not saying people haven't done horrible things to us. He's just saying today there's a power in us that allows us to forgive because we've been forgiven. You gotta take the shackles off today. You gotta, you gotta start putting the key that is forgiveness in the shackles and you gotta stop dropping those things because that anger and resentment and hurt, that's holding you back. It's not even hurting that person. That person has no idea today. Forgiveness is for us today. You gotta forgive today. And you can do that through the power of the cross today. And that's what he's saying. How many times do I have to forgive every single time because we have been forgiven every single time? Let's pray.